or as I like to call them, my guns. Yes. And uh, we have our video conference on again because the last episode wasn't awful enough. We want to do that same shit again where we just like <laughs> are completely distracted by each other. I like the last episode. It Nobody likes any episode. <laughs> well, then why not, right? At least make me like it. So that could be the, the log line for this whole show. <laughs> At least make Jewish Dave like it. <laughs> That's all that this is about. I think that's that's fair. You and your selfishness, your needs, and your requirements. Are you counting money? What are you doing? (laughs) Maybe I am. Maybe I am counting. Maybe I'm counting cash. Maybe I got something going on that you don't know about. Maybe you don't know about all my moves and all my deals. Everything, you know, maybe there's transactions happening below the surface that you don't know anything about. I feel like I, I'm definitely being kept in the dark on a few things. Yeah, you are. <laughs> like, I love when you, as, as for listeners of the show, you know this. If if you're not loyal listeners, you might not know. Jewish Dave and I are kind of like business partners in, in the same way that, like, in the same way that miniature golf is still golf. And <laughs> But, like, I'm sure that there are times when you call up, like, one of our vendors or our service people that we, like, like, you're like I'm, I'm I'm Jewish Dave from All Points West, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, why don't you tell that Q guy to fuck himself?" And you're just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> tell him I know where he lives. I have his address on file. And pulls like, that uh, shit did, again. I, I'm, I'm just trying off to get hosting. signed into our account. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have the email address. <laughs> I have the email address and the password. Can we just make this an easy conversation? Yeah, I don't know. You tell Q. He knows what he did. <laughs> Speaking of Q, I'm Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. And this is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. There's a delay. Are we on that skipping? Don't right even there. bother. Don't even bother doing that part. Are, are we Yeah, uh, you know, I, I will gladly do it the next time that I have an outline in front of me, but we don't have an outline today. We're just we're free balling it today. We're free balling. We're riff we're riffing. We're riffing yeah. and shit. Um you hear about um what I'm gonna do. The only reason that I would ever want to become a stand-up or to do comedy, like stand-up comedy, is not for the mm-hmm. adoration, not to like work out all my weird, uh, my weird pathologies and and my fucked up shit, like most of these people, and not because I hate you myself. Offend like, people, yeah, and, and yeah, <laughs> I want to do it so that I can do like Pete, this Pete Davidson character, and get up in front of a bunch of college kids and just call them retards and tell them that they're idiots <laughs> and shit. <laughs> well, did you read about this or no? I actually don't know what this is. The only the only stand up thing I know about is the Dave Chappelle special that everyone's mad about, which I haven't watched yet. I haven't heard anybody be mad about it, but I have heard a lot of people talking about it. Um, mm. So it's mostly transgender people that are mad about it. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing for that. I got no. There's no. There's there's nothing helpful that I'll be able to say to weigh in on that conversation. There's nothing that's going to add to the conversation. In public relations, there's a little um, a turn of phrase that I love, which is like anytime rather than no comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime that you maybe have like a limited comment or just you don't have that much 
to comment, uh, you know, there's this little flourish, this little turn of phrase that I've learned since working in public relations and in corporate communications. And it's, we had, this is from the perspective of the business or the, the whatever, whoever's being asked to comment on something that they probably don't want to be talking about. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to add at this time. <laughs> that's, that's such a great way of like, I feel like so much of my life can be summed up in that. I mean, like, I have nothing to add at this time. About a third of the conversations I have with my wife could be like summed up with me <laughs> saying like, I have nothing to add at this time. That's great. So no, That's Pete like Davidson. The absence of it. <laughs> I have the absence of relevant things to say with respect to this topic. Thank you for calling. Please refer to our media statement. Uh, um, yeah. So Pete Davidson is ostensibly a comedian um i've never laughed at a thing he's done <laughs> i'm not i'm not really even aware of a character or anything that i don't i know i know that he's supposedly on saturday night live super trendy to shit on saturday night live and talk about how bad it is i can't even do that because like i haven't seen any of them. right i like, haven't seen a single thing he's ever done all i've seen is still images of him but just the basics of saturday night live in its current incarnation are just so repellent like the moment you turn it on your skin begins to crawl and it's difficult mm. to watch for me at least i don't know maybe you like it no nah, i'm with you uh, yeah so i i'm I, I just don't exist in the same universe as like people watching saturday night live but he is apparently a popular character on saturday night live he reminds me of sort of like a uh I don't know. Like, okay, who's another character who's like more a Saturday Night Live character in history who's more about aesthetics and it w- isn't really that funny? I would say maybe like a Jimmy Fallon where they're just sort of there because they're cute. I would even say right, like Andy right. Samberg, but it, Andy Samberg's kind of funny. Like, he's. You're right. Yeah, funny. he has his moments. He definitely has his moments. I would definitely think uh, Jimmy Fallon is a really good comparison. Like a heartthrobby type. I don't know. Like, who's a. Right. You know, like a. like a, No comedians are heartthrobs. No comedians are sex symbols, really. Not really. Right. Um, but, like, I guess if it's like the quirky, weird, funny. Maybe. See, even Adam Sandler was always funny. He was always funny on, on, on SNL, right? Right, right. So or at least I, we think so. I don't but, know. I mean, that's a whole. That's a whole other conversation. But it's, I know what you're saying. It though. seems like oh, I guess what I'm getting at is that I'm not aware of what this guy, apart from his like celebrity relationship stuff, I'm not aware of really what he is or why he's funny or what his fans in Orlando, who sh- you know show up to, who are students at the University of Central Florida, who show up uh, to his show are like expecting. Is it raunchy humor? Is it young? Like Zoomer humor, is I it... assume he just does Snapchat live on stage. Yeah, or like yeah, exactly. That's the he, whole show. I imagine he just does like a whole bunch of sort of like modernized Chandler Bing type stuff, where it's like, <laughs> you think type jokes, like a lot of stuff like that, you know. <laughs> so I'd love to watch apparent... him do that. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I want to be like this guy. Is because he got up I, again. I didn't know he does stand up. Maybe he doesn't normally do it, and that's why he had this meltdown. But he lost his shit on this crowd. Who he started by sort of berating them. They're all, I think, younger than him. He's probably like, I don't know, he's probably like thirty years old. And then this is like a room full of kids who are like 20, 20 21, 22. And I think age thirty is the first year where you start to resent not being younger. Whatever age mm. he is, there's like an age where that happens, and it's different for everybody. But he's clearly, this guy's at that age where 
his a lot of his identity or brand were like wrapped up with being the young guy and he's not that young anymore like he's he's not like young guy anymore he's just guy yeah. he's just regular guy and um and it seems like some of that frustration's coming out because he pulled the like the Jerry Seinfeld move where about like complaining but like very vocally and like uh rudely and in the middle of his set about the audience like not laughing at his jokes not thinking that like it not not like think like him contending that his material was too edgy for them and that they're pussies and that they need and that they're retarded and that they literally those are his words not mine um mm. and that they uh that they're ruining <laughs> ruining the the plan he sounded just like a cranky old baby boomer basically he sounded like a 70 year old republican whining about um you know how difficult it is to be in his generation and be lumped in with with all of them uh but what was coming out i think of a lot of the um social media that was coming out of it he that's the other thing he was complaining about people holding up their phones which is a good point fuck that don't hold sure. up your fucking phone and record a comedy set that you're a comedy show like a big auditorium show not like a i don't know not like open mic or whatever um don't do that you are a dickhead but also, guess what, man? You booked a show with fucking twenty-year-olds. That's what they do. Like that's that's literally what college kids do. They record every fucking thing, and they don't even think about it. They're not making a conscious choice to record. They just pull out their phones. It's like masturbation. Like if you don't, if they don't do it, they just end up doing it by accident. Yeah, it just happens. It just happens. So he was complaining, and he lost his shit up on stage, apparently, and uh, ended up kind of like I don't know, flaming out. And then after after he like berated the crowd for for an inordinate amount of time, he went back into his set and just like empirically it wasn't funny. It was like not good jokes mm. based on what the um, social media reaction was. People who were recounting having been there, they're like, yeah. Then he jumped into his jokes, which were just not funny, and he was was not not very good. And when nobody laughed, he was like, oh, is this too edgy for you? <laughs> Which is the move. You have to explain to me, Dave. What is the move where comedians are like, oh, am I being too edgy for you when, like, when, when, like, they bomb? Why, why is that the move? Yeah, I, I, I do not know. I, I just, I feel like it's probably just like a backed into a corner thing where you're on this stage, everybody's looking at you, and you have nothing left, and you just kind of freak out in the moment it's just lashing out at any and everybody but with no good reason so that's what you go to i guess i i feel like maybe anybody would in that situation yeah i mean i don't know it's it, it, when i heard it just reminds me of the thing where like i think it was like a couple years ago where jerry seinfeld was like no no i don't even i don't even go to the colleges anymore because the college crowds are they're they're, they're, they're they can't handle anything they can't handle any any of the truth in comedy and they're, yeah. they're too and I'm like you're fucking Jerry Seinfeld I mean I'm, I feel like this is a hack bit what I'm doing right now because I feel like people have talked about this before but it bears repeating like you're Jerry Seinfeld man you make jokes about fucking bananas and airplanes and shit like what what are you who's getting offended by your jokes what could you you don't even use curse words like yeah it, I don't I don't think anybody's offended by Seinfeld but I mean the point stands for other comedians but not for a Seinfeld yeah um yeah. By the way, I was just Googling Pete Davidson just to see what the hell he is up to. And and uh, he's dating that Margaret Qualley, the, the girl who plays Pussy in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
the uh, the Manson girl. Oh yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah. She was in a TV show that I really liked called The Leftovers. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and, and she, she was, was also in The Nice Guys. That's right, she was. Yeah, she, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. I mean, yeah, she's a human being. I don't she's know a who person exists. that exists. <laughs> Dave, I don't think we got that much this week, man. What are we gonna? Uh, I, I guess we can just do some quick political shit. Like, has anything caught your caught your eye or what? Um, caught no. my eye. I mean, anything I don't really have about? much get to me, say about it. But I, get me started on something. It, it's like, like it what sound, is something it sounds you like saw? The teachers uh, won out here here in Nevada with the uh, the, the teachers' strike. They're not going to have to strike, and they're going to get what they want. So that's good. That's some happy news for a change on Bird Road. How did that go down? What happened? There was like a whole bunch of demonstrations and stuff like that. And many uh, board meetings where Steve Sisolak was like backed into a corner, as far as I understand. Governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak. Yeah. There you go. And um, yeah. And I I think up until this morning, it was still, you know, a question what was going to happen. But it sounds like. If Democrat I, I Steve Sisolak, earlier, by the way, like having yeah. to be cajoled into supporting a t- the requests of a teacher's union. Can you believe it, though? I mean, can you yeah. believe Democrats doing their own thing? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Sisolak is one of those, right? I mean, he's not exactly a, a progressive activist in any kind nah, of way. He's, he, he's, he's progressive on some issues, but not certainly not everything. What was the resolution? Was this all about teacher pay, or did it have to do yeah. with like other um, concessions and... Things like that. I think the main thing was teacher pay, but I, I don't have like numbers or anything like how much they're they're getting based on what they wanted or you know if there's some kind of compromise or whatever. I just know that they came to some kind of an agreement and they're not going to have to go on the big strike they were planning on. Uh, um, yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm really glad. I know that a uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, Ruben De Silva, was involved heavily in that effort. Yeah. He, of course, is a teacher um, at uh, Rancho, I think Rancho High. I think there. so. Yeah, Rancho High School. Um, he's a he's a a teacher and also very involved in the um, in the teachers union there. So that's that's good news. Um, and my understanding is that I don't think it was really dubbed a wildcat strike, but by the letter of the law, I think it technically was, wasn't it? Because there was um, th- there wasn't really a, a. I guess they do have a union, right? Do the teachers have a union in Vegas or no, in Clark County? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, t- yeah, they have a union. So, you know, it was, it was definitely not, it wasn't a wildcat strike, I suppose, by the letter of the definition, but it was a, um, it was definitely like, uh, less organized, less formalized, and more mm-hmm. just kind of flying by the seat of the pants was the um, impression that I got from from reading about it at least, and uh, it's it's great to see that. I mean, I, I, re- I realized that like in Florida more and more I'm realizing that like it's really difficult to get any kind of foothold in organized labor I mean and 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 just lately I'm really seeing that Florida way more so than Nevada honestly and more so than other swing states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin which both have like these there we talk about Pennsylvania Wisconsin again like going back to like our core reason of this show is talking about like progressive and and, and um you know, left-leaning topics from a, a purple state, swing state perspective. And mm. where I think Florida is a little different and a little, frankly, worse than Nevada, which has this burgeoning progressive movement happening in it that's actually getting some some um, some traction. And uh, 
places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and shit, how can I forget Michigan? Michigan too, which have these long storied history histories of successful organized labor efforts and union, um, you know, deep union ties and, and uh, historical um, contexts. Like Florida doesn't have any of that. Florida is just a pure slash and burn Disney state. It's all just about, you know, corporate strength, corporate power, profits, and, uh, and anything and that, that deals with human beings is an exploitation of humans as, 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 um, stand-ins for capital. Yeah. Like it's all, it's all bad. Like all the history, there isn't a frame of reference for people in Florida especially multi-generational families in Florida, which there are, there are uh, not, not, you know, not so much in the South down here, but like throughout the, the panhandle in the center of the state, there's like, there are families that have been here for generations and generations and they don't have any kind Mm -hmm. of like the context that they hold is very much like old South. Just be glad you have an $8 an hour job and that you're not, you know, being hunted for sport. Like, I mean, that, like, you should just be, just be happy with that. Be happy that your kids aren't being fed into a wood chipper. And, (laughs) like, it, it, it sucks, man, because you can't just overnight teach that mentality and you can't transport it or export it from another state. Like, it has to have its own, its own context. It has to, it has to have some sort of purchase, you know? Like, it can't just, um, it, it can't just, materialize overnight and i think that that's what we're waiting for and hoping for in florida which again all those states that i mentioned none of them anywhere near as big as our state none mm-hmm. of them is as as electorally as important as our state and um anyway i would love to see something like that happening here some like a greater labor movement i will mention that uh the mayor of tampa this is like kind of like another you know we're talking about like small victories here the mayor right. of tampa let's give her credit i want to actually look up her name i forgot her name the mayor of Tampa pushed through some great uh, legislation, uh, and I'll read here from the Tampa Bay Times. Jane Castor, who's the mayor of, of Tampa, which is you know in, in a, a very big city mm-hmm. here in, in Florida. Uh, Jane Castor announces fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage for city employees. Right, uh, that's good. That's a that's that's great news. I mean, we can't get sure. that shit here in Miami. From the, the lead, I'll just read a little bit of it. Tampa Mayor Jane Castor pleased union officials and at least one city council member Wednesday with her announcement that the city workers, uh, that city workers will be paid at least $15 an hour as soon as the city reaches a union collective bargaining agreement. Castor didn't dwell on the politics of pers- persuading the city council to approve the measure as part of her first budget, nor did she cast her decision as a way to pe- appease the Amalgamated Transit Union's Local 1464, which represents the city's blue-collar workers. But standing beside her, where council member uh, John Dingfelder, who had made the proposal one of his budget great requests. Great name. Yeah, Dingfelder. That's a great name. <laughs> and local 1464 president Stephen Simon, who had included it in his union schedule. So this gets into like some of the local politics in Tampa, which I won't bore people with. Unless we have Tampa listeners there, I'm sure you probably know better than we do. But, <laughs> I mean, I think about Miami, which is a far bigger metropolitan area than, than Tampa. And I think about... Our, our our airport, Miami International Airport, which is an enormous airport and has you know thousands and thousands of workers, and uh, most of them making very little, you know, living under the poverty under the, the poverty line or the the Mendoza line for poverty, and the radius that you can draw around 
um, Miami International. It's actually a lot like McCarran, rare in that it is one of those big international airports that's actually kind of right in the middle of the city, as opposed to I don't know how often you fly around, but like, I mean, most airports are are like um, like Atlanta, where they're like you know a, a solid 45 minutes from the city sure you know yeah, yeah. miami's not like that miami's right in the middle of the city mccarran similarly when it was first built was out in the middle of nowhere but now with the way that vegas has grown oh, yeah, that's that's the center of town i would consider yeah it's it's across the street from unlv the the major university um so it, you draw a circle around our airport of like 10 miles and you can't find within 10 miles even more maybe 12 15 miles you can't find anywhere in that circle affordable housing for people who could who who would presumably be working in the airport. These people mm-hmm. spend like I mean, famously there are stories out here of people who spend hours and hours just in their commute from one fractured, broken vertical of public transportation to another fractured, broken vertical of public transportation. Like from the metro mover that only works about half the time to a bus system that's delayed or just you know not not functioning properly the other half of the time, and they spend hours trying to traverse those fifteen twenty miles from places like Homestead or like way up north in Broward County to go to their little you know ten eleven dollar an hour job, right? right. It, it, working at a city airport and they're city they're they're county workers, um, and they should be getting. A living wage 15 bucks an hour people lose their shit about 15 bucks an hour 15 bucks an hour isn't even really that fucking much money to live on no oh, yeah um, absolutely so i guess my point is that we should take these little victories where we can there's a million other podcasts you can go listen to right now if you want to hear about um all the crazy shit that the president has been tweeting and the trade war with china and um the impending economic doom that we're that we're dealing with what, what you, you got you got any takes on 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 the coming uh uh, recession that's that's like uh, chubbing its its penis up, getting ready to like penetrate us, or or no, not a thing, not a thing. Cool. I, I try I try to ignore that. And, Will uh, you miss me when I'm wiped off the map in a few days by this Hurricane Dorian that's like bearing down on me? I heard about that. I I, I didn't uh, I didn't click the link, so I don't know too much. But... Good, good, <laughs> good stuff. I figure you'll just text me if it gets real bad. So what I'm listening to right now, and I'll cut the audio in later, Dave, is um, mm-hmm. just a few minutes ago, Grant Stern, who's a uh, sort of a local journalist here in, in Miami, independent journalist, and uh, he is at a city, uh, what looks like a Miami town hall tonight with Donna Shalala, who is my congresswoman, and he asked her if she would support, she's a Democrat, um, former, just for context for people, she's a former president of the University of Miami. And uh, she is now. She used to be the, I think, health and human secretary, health, health and human services secretary under Bill Clinton, and is now my congressperson, and um, is like just the like prototypical Clinton acolyte, like this centrist sort of mealy-mouthed nothing of a uh, legislator who stands for nothing apart from just like maintaining their own relevance and power, and. This you know trying to restore the status quo, but without upending anything or making anybody uncomfortable or any people that would be part of her sort of circle of influence uncomfortable during the process of that. Uh, and he Grant asked Donna Shalala 
if she would support an impeach in, impeachment inquiry right now. Um, in, it, mm-hmm. The hashtag is impeachment inquiry now. That's going around, and he asked if she would support an impeachment inquiry. That's precisely what we're doing now. The Judiciary Committee is doing an impeachment inquiry, and um, um, they have subpoenaed um, because we read the Mueller report. But, but let me make this clear. There is no one in this room that wants President Trump to go away more than me. Um, it's not simply that he's been immoral, that he's a racist and a sexist, but he also is incompetent. I've never seen cabinet turnover the way we have. His, his management of the economy is a disaster. And she kind of dances around an answer and then just kind of defaults to calling Trump sexist and racist mm-hmm. and incompetent. So Sure. Great, I guess. I don't know, man. I don't know what the current standing is. I know that they're they don't have enough. The 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 Donna Shalalas of the world are the ones that are sort of gumming up that process. I mean, I don't know if you think what do you think? Do you think it would be worth it for them to try to do an impeachment right now or no? Absolutely not. I I, I don't see how it would change anything, really. I mean what 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 is the end goal to to, to impeach him, but then everybody else just continues his messaging? Because, I mean, I, anybody else the Republicans get is going to continue that. I mean, they see that it works. Yeah. Right? No, it's a really good... It's actually... That's actually a really good point. Um, and it flies in the face of one of her key things she says in this response. She's like, worst of all, he's incompetent. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's the right. best thing, that he's incompetent. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. he was competent, if it was Mike Pence, like it, we the country would be a thousand times worse if we had somebody with the same inclinations and the mm-hmm. same uh, political positions and desires and agenda, uh, you know, servicing the same constituencies of intolerance mm-hmm. and hate and right wing reactionary garbage. But they actually knew how to get things done. Can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine yeah. if he was a capable administrator? Like what? how bad this country would be if he hadn't fucked up the muslim ban so bad fuck man we'd be in like and and get all the and got all the pushback and the judicial um recriminations that he got that he's gotten over the course of the last few years from the federal judiciary i mean if he was if he was at least somewhat competent he could have gotten uh he he could have gotten like fucking uh some black ops ghoul to kill um, Stephen Breyer and and Ruth Bader Ginsburg by now. I mean, like, he, if he really was good at you know being what he claims to be, we would be in way worse trouble. Um, sure. The only saving grace is that he's so fucking incompetent, which is a horrible thing to think. Anyway, Dave, I don't know. I think that that's enough <laughs> politics. I would say like one more thing I wanted to bring up. I love that your girlfriend sent me a a, a message about an article from Forbes already bad news already going to be bad uh, like you just know it's going to be bad and but I love Gina she's my favorite person I'm like I read the headline and it's like this is the headline it's from somebody named Harry Binswanger <laughs> and uh he is a contributor for Forbes and it says I his his um little tagline to describe himself because the Forbes model is that everybody writes there for free because they all have an agenda 
just like when I used to write for Huffington Post, I got like I tricked somebody into giving me a byline in Huffington Post, and it was just because I wanted to spew my garbage out into the world. And I assumed there were more people on Huffington Post than there were <laughs> on DavidGuinness.com. So, right. yeah, yeah. like, that was the only reason I had it. It was just like a an outlet. Um, for these people, though, they usually, if you look f- deep enough into Harry Binswanger, you're gonna find out that he's being funded by like the Center for the Advancement of American Freedom and and Economic Choice or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the headline that Gina sent: "Give back? Yes, it's time for the 99 percent to give back to the one percent." And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, who would write this right now? And I look, yeah. and sure enough, it's from 2013. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I so, didn't even notice that when I looked at it myself. I earlier. got like all hyped up, and I was like, oh, uh, okay, all right. This is like right at the, um, you know, right at the beginning of, of uh, Obama's second term. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. So I, I, I just checked my moral outrage and realized that we live in a completely different world than 2013 right now. Sure, sure. Um, uh, you know what, man? I would say the only other thing I wanted to talk about was um remember I I, I, I just I don't really have a point to, to this. Like I don't wanna like go off on a long thing about it, but I just wanna I wanna make sure that somebody is talking about for whatever little, you know, paltry audience that we have out there who listens to this show and pays attention and hears us from week to week. I talk about the drip, 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 the erosion, the little bits. It, it's not gonna be always like a big hack like a muslim ban or like uh you know <laughs> speaking spanish is illegal type shit it's not mm. always going to be like that it's little pieces of erosion here and there and from the 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 drip 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 the 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 drip 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 department um we have this business insider article some children born overseas to certain U.S. troops may not automatically have American citizenship. Trump oh, yeah, I saw says. this earlier today. So yeah. children born to U.S. service members and government employees overseas will no longer be automatically considered citizens of the United States, according to policy alert uh, issued by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, on Wednesday. Previously, children born to U.S. citizen parents were considered to be residing in the United States and therefore would be automatically granted citizenship under immigration and the immigration and nationality act of uh 320 now now children born to u.s service members and government employees such as those born in u.s military hospitals or diplomatic facilities will not be considered as residing in the u.s changing the way they potentially receive citizenship the change was first reported by san francisco chronicle reporter tyle coppin um uh yeah so they have a quote from the spokesperson meredith parker from um, from customs, I'm sorry, from uh, from USCIS, uh, where she says the policy change explains that we will not consider children who live abroad with their parents to be residing in the United States, even if their parents are U.S. government employees or U.S. service members stationed outside of the United States. And as a result, these children will no longer be considered to have to have acquired citizenship automatically. So let's read between the lines. What does this mean? What we know is that there's a lot of people uh, working for the uh, for the government as service members or just employees of the government in the various departments and and um, and whatnot of the, of, the, of the federal government overseas who are immigrants. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some, uh, mostly I think in the military, members of the military who like 
any other cohort of immigrants have had problems with or not paid enough attention to or, or let lapse their their status right like they've because people don't people aren't just undocumented they become undocumented at some point like something happens they were supposed to follow up they're supposed to do some administrative one of the millions of hoops or hurdles that they put in front of you when you want to become mm-hmm. a u.s citizen you miss one or you stumble on one and you don't do the right thing right and you become quote unquote an illegal during that time and mm-hmm. if you're looking and reading between the lines of what's happening here these are all the ways that the Stephen Miller anti-immigrant, not anti-illegal immigrant, but anti-immigrant, anti-brown, basically, anti-brown or black um, agenda is being realized. And when I say it's drip, 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 and eventually there's going to be like one big thing. And like I said before, my prediction is that there will be a moment, and maybe I'm a little sensitive to this because my family's Puerto Rican. I, my, my father was from Puerto Rico and I am, you know, half Puerto Rican. Maybe I'm a little sensitive to it, but I I know that there's going to be a moment that comes where people are going to bring up the topic of like why Puerto Ricans are automatically citizens and that shit. I don't want to speak it into existence, but I've mentioned it like 10 times on this podcast because I, I, I feel like that's the gravity. That's the inertia of this conversation, not just Puerto Ricans, but like generally people who we've always assumed belong here and are okay to be here. <clears throat> just look at what's happening now for like in Miami. It's funny because the, the Cuban population in Miami doesn't give a shit about this, mm-hmm. but Cubans who are, who have tried to come to the United States in the last six to eight months are all being detained because Trump over, I don't know. Do you know what wet foot dry foot is? Have you ever heard of that term before? Mm-mm. No. Okay. So wet foot dry foot was this um sort of a, it was law of the land for a long time that basically because Cuba is, you know, a communist country and we hate communism communism so much. Our rule was that if a Cuban could get to dry land and put their foot on dry land, then they would pretty much automatically be fast-tracked into um, an administrative process where they would become a citizen mm-hmm. as quickly as a year, which is unheard of for somebody coming from Guatemala or Nicaragua or something like that, right? But the specter of communism is such that, and, and the, polit- and the the Cubans from the first two waves of um, diaspora that came here became politically powerful enough in this little area of Miami that they were able to create that circumstance, right? But it's not like that anymore. And the Cubans who are here have been here long enough, and most of them are Republicans, the ones that have been here a long time, who uh, who were born on the island, most of them are Republicans. Um, they've been here long enough. They don't give a fuck about the people who are coming now. They don't give a shit. They don't know them. That's right. not even really their family. They don't even see themselves in them. So, like, all these little things, man. Drip, drip, drip. Um, I don't know. You want to get into uh, into? Do I have to? Sure. Sounds sounds like. Did you fun. even do my? Do I have to? I did the do I have to. I did I have to. So, so I'm gonna yeah. start with mine. Cool. Let's do it. To refresh everyone's memory. Dave, tell, tell them what Do I Have To is, just so we, we have our baseline understanding. So, for Do I Have To, which is a recurring segment here on the show, uh, Q and I, we will make each other do something. Usually involves some piece of entertainment, but uh, it could be anything, really. And it's something we think the other one's going to like, but they probably wouldn't have gone out of their way to do it themselves without us making them do it. And uh, it's usually the kind of thing we probably would have done together if you still lived here in Vegas. But 
Since you don't, I made you go and watch The Beach Bum for this episode of Do I Have To? (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into this, I'll say that we've done this about four times. And mm-hmm. you have you have been four for four and giving me things that I liked. Yes. Um, but I have to ask, like, the, my first question is like, are you were you fucking with me? Is this like <laughs> was were, was this a joke making me watch this movie? Were you like messing with me? Like, is there some ulterior motive behind it? Like, or no? So it didn't work for you then. Uh, I kind of, I kind of got that that feeling uh, from the get go that you that you weren't gonna like this. Um, I actually really did think at first that you would like it. Um, to me, and if you were to go back and listen to our piecing it together episode on this movie, to me, this movie uh, brings to mind things like uh, like. Freddy Got Fingered and Kung Pao and uh, Pootie Tang and the kind of movies that, yes, I completely get the majority of people are going to be like, what the fuck am I watching? This is the stupidest fucking But I'm not one seen. of those people, Dave. Right. I'm not. I know. I'm not. I know. I know. If that and movie comported to those standards of those, yeah. admittedly, I'm in the minority and so are you when we say great movies that you just mentioned. Exactly. Like, you and I, our tastes are aligned in that way. I know. So it yeah. must tell you. Okay, wait, wait. I guess what I want to know is like, let's talk about this movie. I have notes, but okay. I want to clear the deck a little bit. Like, can we have, I want to have a real conversation with you, not a Jewish Dave conversation about this. Okay. I don't want to have the thing where it's like these famously pointless arguments that you and I have where I'm like, I make all these points about a thing and I like, I like lay it out and you're just like, "Ah, I don't know. I like that part. And you're just like, that's it. And then that's it. And there's, Uh there's, you're like, like with the thing that it reminded me of is like arguing with you when we used to argue about Facebook before, I think you can see completely conceded the point that Facebook is horrible and evil and terrible for everybody. And you conceded to just staying on it. I know. (laughs) Fundraise for my daughter. Yes, I did. Um, so uh, but like I would be, I would lay out like seven solid points of like why Facebook is empirically evil, and you mm-hmm. did the famous Jewish Dave thing with like I like that, and you're just like yeah, I don't care, it's fine, okay, fine with me. But can we please just like not do that? Can we have like a real conversation? I, I'll do my, I'll do my best. I'll you. do my best. I fucking hate you. Um, so let me start with things that I liked about the movie. Okay, okay, I like the length. Okay, because I think that no, I'm not even. I don't mean that in a pejorative. No, I, I get. I, get I don't mean that in a backhanded way. Well, maybe I do a little bit, but not really. I actually, I mean it in like way more movies. Movies that I do like mm. should endeavor to be an hour and a half. Like movies right. should try way harder to hit that hour and a half mark. Virtually no movie, and I just heard the Irishman now is going to be a three and a half hour movie. Three I don't know. Three and if a you half heard about fucking that. hours, motherfucker. Yeah. I don't even. I'm, I don't even think I have the bladder for that anymore. Call me when I was eighteen. <laughs> For a movie like that, dude. Well, luckily it probably won't play in theaters, but that's another conversation. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, yeah. So back to the beach bum. It has a lot of things that I like in it. Uh, it has Matthew McConaughey, who's always a win for me, always. Mm-hmm. Um, and his performance is great. He's great. Um, Zac Efron is always reliable, and he's good in this movie. He's funny. Um, yeah. He's hamming it up a little bit, but that's fine. That's this kind of movie. It's fine. Well, that's the point. Everything is hammed, hammed up, up as yeah. far as possible. But it has. Um, um, it I'll has. Let you continue. 
it has Miami as a central character in the movie, and I love when when um, when movies use Miami as a character. Mm-hmm. Miami, I contend, is the most cinematic city in this whole country. It's the most like film friendly, not industrially. I I don't mean like it's easy to come here and make a movie. It's actually really sure. hard. There's lots of permitting right. and everything is like falling apart. So you have to, you know, be careful with the way you shoot and uh, directors notoriously hate coming here, but mm. this city looks cooler than any city in the country. I'm sorry. It's the yeah. coolest looking city that there is. Um, the, the, the look of the movie was great. That sort of like washed out sepia with green, you know, the greens mm-hmm. twerked up. I love that. Um, it's a like a I don't know how to explain it, but like a it's a vibes movie, which I love. I love movies sure. that are just like vibe movies. Um, but so it also reminded me in a lot of a lot of ways. It reminded me of a movie that I think did this movie way better, like forty years mm-hmm. ago, which is a movie called Where the Buffalo Roam. Which I don't know if you ever saw that or not. It's a Bill Murray movie. I have not seen that. Yeah. So it's Bill Murray playing Hunter S. Thompson during the period of time that was the uh, fear and loathing on the campaign trail in like 1972 Mm -hmm. and sort of uh, spanning a few years of time there and going over Hunter Thompson's relationship with Oscar Zeta Acosta, who was um, later on played uh, a fictionalized version of him um, for, to to avoid libel purposes was, uh, was played by um, Benicio del Toro in fear and loathing in Las Vegas um, mm-hmm. In Where the Buffalo Roam, he was played by Peter Sellers. Um, so it was a vastly superior movie to this, but it was a lot of the same things, a lot of the same plot well, points to, and tropes. To and... be fair, that was a movie, quote unquote, right? Whereas this is almost more of like an experiment, which is what Harmony Korine does, you know? I think you're giving him too much credit, but... I, perhaps. I, 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 okay. To the things that I absolutely hate. Okay. And I realized as I was writing this stuff down and taking these notes that I think maybe I'm not giving the movie full fairness. Um, I think that this movie isn't as bad as I'm going to make it out to be. Um, mm. For anybody out there listening, if you're debating whether or not to watch it, I would say watch it, honestly. But like, it's probably not as bad as I'm making it out to be. It's just it pulled up a lot of bad things in me. Like it pulled mm-hmm. up a lot of like just things that were person like personal bugaboos for me. You might have also like I could see before you get into some of this stuff, I can see if you're not in the mood for stupid like just just being like I I I can't take this That's right a now. good point. Like, I I, I know, got into this movie thinking it was going to be there was going to be a level of profundity to it. I right. thought it would be profound in some way. It's not. And it wasn't. All. It absolutely was like the the eyeball test was completely wrong. I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, this movie has something to say." And right, Freddie got fingered has more to say than this movie, right? <laughs> yeah. um, which also, but there were also these certain tropes, like things that I just hate. Snoop Dogg, it's just he's terrible. He's always horrible. He's never going to be good in anything. Uh, he, he takes you out of every single movie that you're in. He's one uh, of the most wooden actors that's out there. He's just absolute dog shit of an actor. Um, mm-hmm. It's always a sign of a bad movie when, when Snoop Dogg is in it. Um, w- vastly worse than Snoop Dogg was every scene with Jonah Hill. Every <laughs> scene with Jonah Hill was unwatchable. I had to stand up and walk away during his scenes. Like, I had to stand up out of my own living room. Jonah Hill kicked me out of my living room with that <laughs> accent. This te- Anytime you got Jonah Hill with an accent, 
It's 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 uh, name a good Jonah Hill accent. I, I, I absolutely cannot. I, I cannot. He took this character. Somebody, too many people told him that he was great in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, and he wasn't. Uh-huh. He was dog shit in The Wolf of Wall Street. And too many people told him, yeah, do that. Be that guy. Yeah. And he is has these parts now where he does the Wolf of Wall Street thing, but mm-hmm. like to the nth degree. And it's 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 so like just like cloying and treatly and just gross. And you just want mm-hmm. it's it, it elicits a feeling, which I guess is good as an actor, right? You want to like elicit feeling from people, but they're terrible feelings. So before moving on to your next point, I do want to address the Jonah Hill situation, not so much to Snoop Dogg, because Snoop Dogg is terrible and everything. I mean, I think he's got a few moments that are pretty funny, but generally speaking, he's pretty bad. In this movie or like as an actor it, in his it, reel? In this, in this movie, okay. particularly. I would say in his about. reel, he has a few good moments. Yeah, just a few moments and that's it, but not much. Yeah, he's terrible at movies. But I do want to talk about Jonah Hill for a second. Um, I, the character You're getting you what are, you want. You're getting... Uh, to talk I, with me about this movie. I'm like, I clear I the deck. I clear the deck yeah, and I'm ready to talk about this movie with you. I'm ha- I'm happy. All Let's right. do it. Let's do it. So, and here's the thing. And this is kind of just a, uh, I guess like a microcosm of the whole movie itself is the Jonah Hill character. Because to me, this character literally could not be stupider. It could not be worse. Agreed. And that is the world that Moondog inhabits. Is just this just this world of just sheer stupidity and awfulness. And it, it, it again, it, I, it's not for everybody, this movie, but it, that is what I love about this movie is that it, it, it takes this idea of these just awful people, just, just finding happiness in the world at any and all costs and just running with it. And it doesn't matter that it's terrible. It's trying to be as terrible as humanly possible. And Jonah Hill, I think, does a fantastic job. And I don't always love... I agree with you about him in Wolf of Wall Street. I think he is what the character is supposed to be in this, which is horrible. I mean, but and not just bad, but, like, embarrassingly bad. And it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Okay. I think I need to separate here. And it's actually good because this was a point that I wanted to mention. As I criticize this movie, I do want to separate... More particularly with Moondog, as portrayed mm-hmm. by Matthew McConaughey, I want to pr- separate my criticism of the character from the performance. Because I okay. like the performance. Matthew McConaughey is always great. He does seem a little bored in this movie. He seems a little like... Um, he seems like a, a little like he's watched too many Saturday Night Live sketches of people doing impressions of him. And now well, he's, he also basically he's doing played this impressions character of what his caricature is. Yeah, exactly. Which is always he's a hundred percent doing that. Yeah. So I, 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 but overall his performance is great. It's Matthew McConaughey. He's always great. I'm I'm always on board with Matthew McConaughey. This character's fucking trash. This character is horrible. Lots of horrible. problems. Um, it's okay. You can have a shitty. Here's my thing. Thirty years ago, probably I would say one of the top five. Maybe maybe not for me and you particularly, but I think that anybody who studies film or is interested in film and, and, and has like good critical opinions about film will say that of the last 40 years, one of the top five movies came out mm-hmm. 30 years ago this week. Do the right thing. One of the best mm-hmm. movies ever made, probably. Sure. Perfect example of an incredible movie with a horrible main character. 
The main character was terrible. The actor was horrible because he's not an actor. He's a director. And then he didn't play the character convincingly. But guess what? That's okay because Mookie in Do the Right Thing was not the central... It wasn't a character study movie. It wasn't a movie that was about Mookie. It was Mookie at the center of it with all these things orbiting around him. Mm-hmm. This movie is a character study of a shitty character. Sure. Uh, it's lazy, two-dimensional. Again, McConaughey is great. He's always great. But I have huge problems with this character because there's nothing recognizable or, or, or tangible about him in the real world. There isn't... If you had told me that he was... If they positioned him as like a shitty garbage... like um hedge fund guy or or real estate developer down in Miami. I'd be like, okay, I'm on board. I can see. Now build this crazy world of this character off of this plank of reality. Mm-hmm. But there are not multimillionaire poets, famous poet laureates that are like splitting time between Miami and Key West. There's I no feel... reality for me to connect to there. there I I don't, I, it doesn't matter like... that he's married into it. There, uh-huh. there are no f- cool famous poets. There are, there's no cool rebel Americana Jimmy Buffett American hippie poets who are like 50 years old and are just like universally loved. It, there's no plank to jump off of for like for you to create like a crazy character. I feel like there are rappers that kind of fit the bill. Like Maybe, Snoop Dogg is basically the this. Snoop Dogg character. Yeah, sure. I mean, no, no, I mean, Snoop Dogg could be moon dog, like the real life Snoop Dogg. I mean, he's just coasted his way through life on nothing. He had, he had one hit in 1993 and has just been coasting off of everybody loving him ever since. Yeah. And being like sort of you know? uniquely recognizable. Like yeah. more than, and I I really do think, and it not you know the the name kind of connects it, but and, and you know it just kind of blends reality with the fact that Snoop Dogg himself is in the movie. But Snoop Dogg, I think, is the closest thing because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But he is the closest thing I could think of to somebody who all every last ounce of of the the promise that they showed in their early work is completely gone. They, they have blew their nothing load le- super yeah. early. And, right in that first moment, yeah. they blew it all. And now they're just coasting on just likeability branding. for the last 30 years. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah, but and you know I, what? I, I will give Snoop Dogg this, real. and the character Moondog does not have this. All right? Hmm. Snoop Dogg agreed. He has a very low ceiling of talent, in my opinion. Hmm. He he the, the critically or culturally important work that he did was finished many decades ago. Yeah, but he's a hustler. Every day that guy's waking up and showing up to a Harmony Corinne movie and putting right. on makeup. He's showing up to some shitty game show with Martha Stewart and he's putting on makeup. He's showing up for a reality documentary about like um, youth football leagues in L.A. He's going to concerts. He's doing live shows. He's making albums. Fucking who the fuck is listening to Snoop Dogg? He's still out there making <laughs> albums though, and I'm, pro- I'm sure millions of people are still <laughs> listening to him. So yeah. like um, that. That's a big Fair difference. Point. That's a wide gulf between him and the character that we're presented uh-huh. with in the in the in the body of um, Moondog, the the poet. Fair point. Uh, um, so, bringing me to my next criticism of Moondog, from what we hear and see, which is a lot in this hour and a half, he's an absolutely shitty poet. He's a horrible oh, yeah. poet. Like <laughs> you would so think that bad. Harmony Corinne would sit down and be like, "Let me come up with some great." incredible mind-blowing things that this guy will say little nuggets that will seed 
the believability of him being this cultural force that changed the way people think about things. It's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> and here's, I talked at the beginning about this, about things that maybe this movie is just dragging up things in me that I don't like, like bad mm-hmm. things, like it's bringing things out of me. There was a movie a few years ago. I don't know if you saw it, but it was called My My Five-Year-Old Could Paint That. Do you remember this movie? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. For those who haven't seen it, it was basically an indictment of the entire concept of Impressionism as an art form, mm-hmm. where it was yeah. saying that Impressionism is bullshit. It's all just these hoity-toity Manhattan elites looking at... Um, at, at at splatters on a piece of on a on a piece of paper and and deciding that it's the it's worth half a million dollars and mm-hmm. uh the premise of the story was that this these this these parents were saying like oh my daughter who's only five years old painted better than that and now her and the whole art world sort of latching onto that and um imbuing value onto the uh the artwork right and i know you've seen it so i'm just saying this mm-hmm. recap for the um for other people, for for the the listeners, I should say, and um, it turned out actually by the end of the movie, I think the, the the cool part of the movie was that it turned out that the um the dad was actually painting the the, the paintings, and mm-hmm. um, I hate that shit because that's philistinism, that's bullshit. There is good impressionistic artwork, and if you do understand art, you can look at it and distinguish. You can look at it and say, that's bad, that's good. Just because the vast majority of people or the people who get that, who who sort of embrace that joke or that that sort of nihilism where it's like, that's just splatters on a page. Just because most people think that doesn't mean it's fucking true. And just because most people think like, poetry can be fucking anything, man. Poetry could just be me talking about my dick and a beer. <laughs> it's like, no, it is bad. That's bad. I'm sorry, man. And... It, it, it falls into this whole thing, man. It's like this... It's... It's a BS argument. It's interpretive. Like, it's it's taking things that are interpretive and devaluing them. And mm-hmm. just because something's interpretive, just because you need to have maybe an extra layer of understanding of the form to appreciate it, and just because mm-hmm. maybe you don't, as a passerby look at it and and you're not able to distinguish between the good and the bad in that in that form how pissed would you be if somebody did like a paint by numbers version of an a24 movie like some shitty movie where they just did some fucking dutch angles and low lighting and they put it out and they were like this is like the same shit as a24 you as a professional person who like appreciates and criticizes movies would be pissed wouldn't you You'd be like no it's not you sure. just did like an impression of an A24 movie. You didn't do an A24 movie. You didn't mm-hmm. do a good movie. This isn't good, right? It's the same thing. And I hear this shit where it's like, I can just hear the writing process of this guy like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make him be like edgy and talk about his dick in his poems. And like, that's raw. And it's like, it's just bad. It's not good. It's bad. And yes, you can make an imperial value judgment, an empirical value judgment on that shit. It's fucking bad. Um, and that bothered me. That bothered me that they couldn't give him good poetry. That Harmony Corinne couldn't hire a poet. Hire a poet. Hire fucking well, Juno Diaz. Have him fucking write something. My guest for the Piecing It Together episode said that uh, Harmony Corinne actually has a poetry book, and it's just like that stuff. <laughs> this book is so bad. <laughs> That's my other thing, too. This movie depressed the fuck out of me that this is what the guy that wrote Kids is doing. Like, it depressed me from the start. I was just like... 
it just felt so bad. Like the first time there was a needle drop on some fucking James Taylor song, I was like, or or whatever. I was just like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. Before and then about a third of the next... way through the movie, I'm like, oh, here's why Jewish Dave likes it because we're on like our fourth Cure song, and <laughs> that's the re- yeah, that's that the was, real reason. That was Jewish pretty Dave awesome. Well, to, to hear the Cure to Harmony Kareem movie is pretty freaking crazy. But but uh, that actually is something I want to ask you real quick. Did you see Spring Breakers? What did you think of that? That's the um, James Franco vehicle. That was his last. Yeah, that was his last movie. I haven't seen that, no. I, I, I'm aware okay. of it. It looked good. Was it good? It, it It's not that different from this, honestly. Uh, I it mean, looked it's, like Good Times. It looked like it was Good ridiculous. Times, but with girls on Myrtle Beach. Yeah, not really. It's pretty fucking stupid. I mean, it, it's... Actually, it's at just... the time that it came out, I thought it looked like an episode of It's Always Sunny. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, it's basically a rap video for, for 90 minutes. So Another thing that this movie brought up in me that pisses me off, mm. as somebody who for the last, I don't know, like 15 years or whatever, has made a living as a writer, which mm. is fucking not easy, um, is that it perpetuates what I call the Bukowski myth of writing, which is that there's nothing more to writing than just getting high and sitting down and typing writing yeah. that devalues writing so much. And it is the most fucking popular myth about writing that like, Oh, you get shit faced and like the words come. Yeah. Writing is a fucking, it's, it's, it's not an art. It's technique. It's a science. It's not easy. It's like, it's, it's like any other trade. It's not, I mean, like, yeah, sure, there's, like, inspiration and stuff, but it's, it like, the inspiration is, is buoyed by, like, technique and attention to detail. And uh, whenever you see this trope where it's, like, oh, this guy's brilliant. He just, like, drops acid and makes, like, a brilliant hit work. I hate that shit, man. That bothers me mm-hmm. so much. Don't you hate that? That's the same thing with music, with music actually. Musician. Right. That's a that's a musical trope too. That musicians are high all the time, and that's where all the brilliant stuff comes from. Music is fucking hard. It's a technical right. uh, attention to I detail. I don't make anything good when I'm high. It never works. Um, <laughs> but, but 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 uh, but yeah, no. I mean, but that like you said, it's a trope. It's a trope that people seem to like to see on screen. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I don't think there's any escaping it. And I blame Charles Bukowski for it. It's not his fault. Mm-hmm. He was one of the very 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 few people. Here's the thing. Here it is. And I'll explain it to you. I'll, I'll tell you how this fucking happened. Charles Bukowski, famous poet, who is obviously an influence on um, on Harmony Corinne and um, mm-hmm. and uh, famous writer, um, Factotum and uh, uh, Ham and Cheese and uh, or, what was it? Ham and Cheese? Ham Sandwich? I forget the name. But he just whatever. More books than you could count. He famously was a drunk. Famously was high all the time. Famous, lecherous, you know, old, dirty piece of shit. Didn't become famous or of any notoriety until his late 50s. Uh, you know, struggled in poverty his whole life. Drank a lot, like to the point of vomiting his guts out on a nightly basis and wrote. But, but, if you, if you, and if you trace a lot of this sort of like mythology of how you write better when you're fucked up, it all kind of comes back to him. And a few of the others from his era, like, um, uh, you know, the Beats and stuff like that. But, like, a lot of it goes back to Bukowski. Um, everybody who, you know, wants to become a reporter or a writer or a poet or whatever in their late teens, early 20s starts reading Bukowski and mm-hmm. gets into the idea of it. But here's where they're wrong. And here's where the myth is wrong. Is that the drinking, sure, he did it. 
and getting fucked up and drinking to the point of of throwing up throwing his guts out and and typing away on his on his typewriter through the night and coming up with great stuff he did do it but it was part of his process and just like anything with writing it's all about process whatever your process is you have to stick with it religiously for him it happened to be drinking and getting fucked up and it's so rare that that's what the process is for people my process is completely different when I have to write. I have three or four really comfortable places where I can, you know, and situations and scenarios where I can sit down and you get write. A culotta. What? You get a culotta. <laughs> where I can sit down and I can write <laughs> and I can create work that's good enough that somebody will pay me for it. Like, but if you're telling me to like sit down on a beach with a fucking IBM Selectrix and tap away on the keys like a fucking Old Navy ad or like a fucking uh, anthropology ad, which, by the way, the other thing about this movie, can we put a fucking cap on like 10 at the most? If your character is a writer, let's put a cap. You're only allowed to have 10 quirky places where he's typing away on a typewriter during the course of your hour and a half movie. All right, let's put a cap of 10 because to see this guy it's fucking Moondog, man. Moondog. Moon fucking every other scene, he's on a on a fucking pier or on a fucking um boat or hanging off of a fu- By the way, I feel like I'm going to fucking explode talking about this movie. It's called Beach Bum. There isn't a single fucking beach in the whole movie. There's not one beach. He's never on a beach. He's on a boat, he's on a pier, he's on a fu- uh-huh. <laughs> he's never on the fucking beach. No, oh no. I feel like I'm going to lose my fucking mind with this movie. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. I was I jealous like... of... I would say I was jealous of Isla Fisher's character because she died about, about the time when I was like, I wish I could die. Like 30 minutes into the movie. I was like, could I just be done with this movie? I wish I could just jo- jump into the ground with her. I feel like at this point I should say that. I'm sorry, I'm shitting on it so bad. I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's okay. I I should say I should have prepared you a little more for what the movie is. <laughs> Maybe before you set off to watch it. Maybe I haven't laughed at Martin Lawrence in years, and this was a good Martin Lawrence movie. I will say, yeah, that. he was fucking hilarious. I don't I don't care. There's no way you could say that he was not funny. He was and and Zac Efron. For he that was great. Matter. Him Both and Zac hilarious. Efron were great. All the yeah. little sort of vignettes where he was visiting and meeting up with all these random people who were, yeah, you know, it was kind of a distraction because if you would tell me like from the start and then the, and then he moved into like it was such uneven writing, Dave. I guess is the thing like because those were such fleshed out and realized characters and recognizable in in their in who they were the Zac Efron and the um uh and and the, these different characters that we would spend time with and then he would start spending time. In a vignette that was set it set up much the same way, but with characters who were just stand-ins or stereotypes and had no development, like just a Rasta guy and like mm. a slutty old Cuban lady, and like and, but they had no discernible dialogue. They didn't have any internal monologue of their own. They didn't seem to have any agency over what was going on. They were just like <laughs> window dressing. Um, they also yeah, had like a see. random, random trans, like really transphobic joke where like. Zac Efron is falling in love with with a woman and it turns out that she's a man and like it's just like randomly out of nowhere like a very like 2006 Todd Phillips movie type joke that they would just sure. like, throw in and I, I don't know I guess it's just it's just, it's just... <laughs> 
Oh, I'm glad you watched it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, let me see what else can I wrote you, in my can notes. Can you believe really this have, movie got a theatrical I, run? Wait, what were you going to say? <laughs> can you believe this movie got a theatrical run? Totally. I mean, like seven yeah. years ago, this movie would be... Well, seven years ago, but today, like this year. Yeah, but there's still like, some it was residual. in four throw, theaters. You take this movie and you make... I'll tell you what. You take this movie and you make the main character be... Zach Efron and it's direct to um it's direct to Netflix. But you make the movie be Matthew McConaughey, one of our few remaining movie stars, and yeah, it's gonna go in the movie theater. You know? It'll See, be- and I I don't necessarily agree with that because to me this movie is just too weird. It's too it doesn't follow any kind yeah, of structure that of, would be okay with normal but people. But isn't part of that like kind of a trick? Like don't don't you don't the distributors, or not the distributors, I guess it would be the distributors who get tricked. The, don't the studios or don't the showrunners kind of trick or sell the movie in a way where, like, you don't always know that? Like, like Yeah, and, and sure, aren't, but they, aren't, still, aren't, they still want good cinema scores. Like, and it, I would imagine most people walked out of this movie like, that was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. And even though they might like, you know, whatever the new Will Ferrell movie is or whatever... You know, they it's a different kind of stupid, you know. When you tell me that the guy that wrote the guy that wrote kids mm-hmm. also wrote the montage scene where Moondog is being evicted after his wife's death and it's like a fucking uh. it's like a Nora Ephron movie. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> What the fuck <laughs> am I watching right now? How it's can beautiful. this be a movie and how can it be these people that made it? Yeah. Hundred percent. Did you see McConaughey is going to be a teacher now, a professor uh-huh. at the University of Texas? I guess he has been like adjunct, but they gave him like a, a full time job. <laughs> what I, What I want to know before we move on to my do I have to okay. is is my last question is I, well, it's not really a question, but I I'm debating with myself whether I should have had you watch this or Serenity, the other Matthew McConaughey movie that came out this year, which is like I I say I've said this many times is like the room level bad. Okay, it is well, so fucking funny. Well, first so of all, bad. I'm pretty sure it. The thing is, when it comes to like the like watching bad movies for the sake of watching bad movies because it's funny. Yeah. It literally for me, it has to be the room, or if it's only right. like I agree. If it's only like I agree. Sort there's of bad, no bad movies I watch. There's no way, dude. If they spent more than a few million bucks and Matthew McConaughey was in I it, know. there's no way that there's like continuity errors where they cut from 4 p.m. until 9 p.m. at night in two seconds. There's no way that Stay there's Stay tuned like for the next of, do I have to, There's people, no way that there's pictures of spoons being hung up it. on the wall. I'm sorry. There's It's... it's, it's there's it's no way. The, it's the closest thing I've ever seen. At, let, let's put it that way. It's, it's probably my second favorite bad movie I've ever watched. That's how great it is. No, but... Uh, I we'll w- watch it together I next would time we're prefer, together. I would have preferred that you made me watch this movie because at least this movie does have some hook in the culture it has some things that are relevant to i don't know how you explain that where it's like what's that feeling you get when you when a piece of something comes out a tv show or a movie comes out and you're like damn i'm probably not gonna watch that but it has a b and c and i collect a b and c i collect watching this guy's stuff and watching this this person's directed mm-hmm. movies and I, I like in my mind i collect and f- for the sake of completionism i better sure. make sure i watch that and like that happens with me with guy Ritchie. like i'm a guy Ritchie guy and i know and i'll watch all his fucking stupid movies because i want to make sure that i see all the guy Ritchie movies um so you gotta go see aladdin soon oh, i'm not gonna watch that but <laughs> it's actually pretty funny but 
but uh, I'll watch the original <laughs> with my daughter. But um, I don't know what that is, but that feeling of this, where it's like, oh, it's a Matthew McConaughey movie. Oh, Zac Efron's in it. The guy that wrote Kids directed it. Yeah, I guess I guess I should watch that. You know, mm. like that part of me would prefer that you make me watch this movie, no. um, even with like a fucking random, like fifteen minute dance scene on a pier with like Peggy Lee music playing it's so uneven it's all over the map and it's totally all over the place um all right so uh that's what I like about it that's what I like about it. <laughs> so what what did you have me do so I had you um watch something that I think was equally important to me as this movie was to you and so listen to listen to I had you I I, I subjected you to um what uh it's kind of hard to describe it's a spotify playlist basically it's an album of music it's not by an actual band it's by um the the, the accredited artist is jones is the jones sisters which is old there have been i mentioned this on the last episode there historically have been um bands called the jones sisters of some there were two that i found in googling that are not this band or this creator there are they are from many decades in the past and Mm. this band by comparison is apocryphal because it's not it's more of a collection of creators and specifically it was um uh it was an effort spearheaded by stephen conrad who is um filmmaker and a writer of some um, of some repute who made movies like uh, he wrote the movie Wonder, he wrote uh, Weatherman, he uh, directed and wrote and was the main creator of two recent television series that are very close to my heart that I love unabashedly. Um, Amazon's Patriot, which I strongly recommend you anybody listening watch that movie. Or I'm sorry, that TV show. It's two seasons and now it's canceled, unfortunately, but it's great. And uh, uh, epics tv show called um uh perpetual grace ltd which is incredible and um all signs that's of, where most of this was from that's right? what all of this is from this soundtrack okay. that i had you listen to uh is music that he it's original music that he created along with um you know a lot a lot of other uh musicians uh specifically to serve as the soundtrack of this awesome tv show uh, mm-hmm. I would have again. We get back to the completionism thing. I, what I really wanted to do was to have you watch Perpetual Grace Ltd. Ten hours of your life that I know that you don't have. So mm-hmm. I wanted to try to impart some of the vibe of the show onto you. And I thought maybe the most effective way to do that was um, with the Joan Sisters album. Uh, so with that said, let's hear it. What do you, What did you think? All right, so I listened through it a bunch of times over the past week, and uh, I I definitely liked pretty much every song on this playlist. Uh, I, I really enjoy the music. Um, you know, one thing, I've, I've mentioned this before, like when you've had me listen to other music, for me, if something... Wait, that, why don't you really every, quick, just, just you're, okay. you're, a profession, you're a professional musician, you really know what you're talking about mm-hmm. much more than I do. Can you try to describe like what the what the genre is or what the style of the music is so that people kind of know what it is we're talking about? Uh, I would I would say, not to sound like I'm I'm shitting on it or anything. I would say like twee indie rock or okay. like twee indie folk, but definitely I'd use the word twee. But um, 
but yeah, I mean, I liked all these songs, but like I was going to say that there's this, it, there's this thing with music where if something about it, I don't like whether, whether it's the, uh, the, the tone or the, the production style or the vocals or the lyrics, um, I, I will, I just can't really stick with it. And this didn't do that. I, I like this is you're you're right on the money for me as far as what I like to listen to as far as uh, all of those elements. But the thing that I never even thought of before is the thing that this brought to me. And that is that whole thing you were just describing about how it's not really like a real bands mm-hmm. or artist. And yeah. it was all made for the show. And I, that's something I've never come across before. It's kind of interesting, um, but it. it it just makes the whole thing feel like super empty to me. Like where it's like, who are these people and why am I listening to them? Like, can I give you a counter to that? Sure. Okay. So one of my, I'm a lyrics guy. I love lyrics Mm -hmm. in songs. Yeah. And I love one of the things I like to try to do. And I, I'm telling you, I came up with the idea for genius years before, but I did not have the wherewithal of the, um, technical expertise or really the fucking desire to actually make it happen or, or anything. Mm-hmm. So, But I always want to know when I hear a piece of music that catches on with me, it's always lyrically driven. It's always about the story that's being told. And yeah. the best, in my opinion, the best lyrics are the ones that only hint at a bigger story and, sure. um, and don't tell an entire story. That's why I also hate New Country because New Country mm-hmm. is so expository. Oh, if it's you the ever, worst thing it's in the, the world. worst shit in the world. Tells a complete story from end to end about like everything that happens in some sad life, and I, I think that that's so hack and amateurish in, in songwriting. Good songwriting, I think, is much more like this. And a lot of the music that you listen to, Jason Isbell and, and stuff mm. like that, I think is 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 great. Um, problematic as he is, um, Ryan Adams, same way. Yeah, right. Uh, like I, I think that that's great songwriting where I'm left empty a lot of times is when I actually do try to like look into what's behind a great song and it's like a Coen Brothers answer where it's like, no, it's nothing. I was just writing. And it's right, like, exactly. there's nothing. That I find to be empty. This was written, and again, maybe you would have to watch the show, but the, mm. the music dovetails so well with a bigger story of what's being told. I find it to be super full in, in a way that it's more considered. It's woven into a real existing story that's out there in the world that is like a bigger mythos. That is like a bigger that you know, like you're listening to a song and you're like, "Fuck, man, this guy sat down and came up with the idea for Ben Kingsley to be doing this with Louis Guzman and with Jimmy Simpson, and like it lies, it like couples in, it couples up with that." It, to me, it makes it feel like it's more considered and there's more mm-hmm. behind it. And um, and that it's like, where is... It's like a concept album. And people don't do right. that anymore, right. right? People don't make concept albums anymore. Well, so. I, I, sh- I should say that as someone who makes music for film, I totally appreciate that, you know? And I, I think that making music to service a story is, is a great thing. And you're right. I think probably if I had seen the show, it would... You know, it would come together in, in a way where that that whole thing wouldn't really bother me so much. Uh, Let me ask you, you a know, question. I, Let me ask you a question. Uh, all right. You were scoring a movie that, let's say, that you wrote. Create. You had like a magnum opus of a movie that you were making, or a film, or TV show, whatever. And somebody gave you unlimited musical budget. Do you go Martin Scorsese route, 
a you being you, you being yeah. Jewish Dave, the composer, the you know guy who's made music for like more than twenty years. Do you go the with that unlimited budget? Do you go Martin Scorsese route, unapproachable like like top American bandstand, American mainstay music that is great needle drop music, or do you go John Williams route and make your own incredible huge score with an enormous orchestra and realize your own music and, and an idea that right. you want to weave into this story that you're making. What would you do? I go the second way for two reasons. One, just because I mean, making the music is what I love to do. Not necessarily placing music. Like I, I like to, I like to watch the scene and then make some new music that doesn't already exist. So I mean, definitely for that reason, but then also because there's some people like Scorsese, like Tarantino, who are just so incredible. Yeah, that's another at good it. example, I, Tarantino I, I, with the needle yeah, drops. I'm, I'm just going to yeah. be copying them if I if I was to go that direction with my budget. So I'm sorry. So what so, were yeah. you going to say? Oh, uh, so no, I, I mean, I was just going to say like, yeah, I wish I had the time to like watch this, but you know, obviously, obviously I don't, but, uh, I think, I think it would be a different experience with that. But you know, that being said, the songs are really good. I like, I like all the songs. Oh, and the, the other thing I was going to say is, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on my, uh, my pup pups album right now yes. and yes. <laughs> something that I w I've been thinking about doing for a while, but, um, it, it would be the next project I do after the pup pups album is, uh, cause I've been doing a lot of like singing and guitar playing on that album, which I hadn't really done in the past too much of just a little here and there. And I was seriously thinking about making an entire song, uh, entire album of song songs, like songs kind of like this and not releasing it as a band, not doing shows or anything, but just for the sake of licensing for TV and commercials and whatnot. Um, just, you know, cute little love songs and, you know, little songs about how, how happy I am, you know, <laughs> and shit like that. And that's basically or, what I got or out a of song, this. Or a song, know? if you wanted to sell it to TV, all you have to yeah. do is write a song or a whole album that's about a man, a man, a male character who's wondering if he's uh -huh. actually a good person or not. Because that's what every TV show is these days. It's <laughs> yeah. some guy wondering, am I actually a good person? And like literally, in some <laughs> cases, literally asking, am I a good person? That you can It's all Breaking Bad too. It's all Breaking Bad, dude. Uh, yeah. What do you think about the Breaking Bad movie coming out, by the way? Just real quick. Uh, I don't know. You, you know, think they're going to fuck it up? I thought they were going to fuck it up when they said that they were going to do a spinoff TV show about the lawyer character. And I that know, turned out to right? be the best show that's come out in fucking That's ever. the only reason I think it could be good. But otherwise, it just seems so unnecessary. And then the fact that Netflix is producing it. Um, and you know all their movies, no matter how good they sound, they usually turn out like shit. Other than like Roma and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Like most of their movies are usually garbage. I don't even know what to expect with The Irishman. Um, anyway, let's talk about yeah. tracks. What did you like? Which ones maybe moved you? Which ones did not? All right. Um, I really only wrote down specifically the ones that like I really enjoyed. Um, I, I, I really loved Kawasaki KX80, which is a great little song. Um, just a heartbreaking song. Yeah. Like yeah, if you listen just... to the lyrics, again, I'm a lyrics guy. I know you are too. Yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking, heartrending song. Yeah. Um, you know, the power of your soft young heart as like, I it, thought it you would like, like that. I thought that it that sounds like a freaking Coca-Cola commercial, but like, it's really, really catchy and really good. Um, I liked, uh, I liked Iris. I liked, um, what was, uh, shit. Now I'm forgetting which one that was like the real rockin' one. Resonate. Um, which, 
Maybe it was resonate. I'm gonna yeah. resonate. Yeah, that was that was really One good. Day I, resonate. <laughs> I was yeah. singing that's I've been singing that song for like a week and a half now. <laughs> Just under my breath when I walk by people in the office, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna resonate. <laughs> That's a, that's one of those brainworm songs that gets in there that's and it's great. just stuck in your head. And then like awesome. the random part where it kind of crescendos and it's like, riding like a flower. You're just like, what the <laughs> fuck is this guy singing next to me? Take your headphones off. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, th- those were the ones that I had specifically written down. But uh, but yeah, like I said, I mean, these songs were all very good. They all capture the the kind of sound that I do like. Um, it, it's just, it's such a weird thing. This whole idea of a band that's not a band and I don't even know who their members are supposed to be. And like, it's just, it's, it's a very strange thing, but like, like you said, maybe the, it, within the, the, um, uh, you know, context of the show, it, it, you know, really brings it all together in the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, but that being said, I, I definitely liked it a lot more than you like the beach bum. <laughs> um, I'm trying to look it up right now. I think I'll return to this more than uh, a lot of the other music you've made me listen yeah, to. Yeah, you haven't guys. really liked a lot of. Um, you haven't liked a, a lot of the. Uh, a, a lot I like of the instruments. Music I'm trying to push push towards you, you know. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I read this somewhere, and I'm not finding it anywhere on the internet. One of the thing that's that's one of the things that's like kind of tough is trying to google steven conrad is like for a guy who is is somebody who is ostensibly or i mean uh, presumably a, a hollywood guy a guy who's making feature television shows and and uh, writing feature movies he's a guy who's like really low key he doesn't have a huge public persona i mean he's not like out there pushing that hard and like so my point in saying that is that like i'm looking out uh trying to figure out the name of the singer of the Kawasaki KX80 song is a woman who was for a very long time backup singer or um, or depending on what role she was playing, I guess, like lead singer uh, for Jack White. She was a Jack White singer uh, mm. and she sang on a bunch of songs for Jack White, apparently. And I just I read that somewhere and it's just so hard to find. First of all, Perpetual Grace as a TV show is criminally undercovered like not covered enough by like you can't find a lot of articles about it. it it flew under the radar which i hope it has like a second life where people sort of take notice of it and uh and realize how great it was and maybe more of those people who move the needle when it comes to culture like people you know people like on, on podcasting type people you know like uh yeah. like kind of notice it and start talking about it a little bit more but as of right now it's kind of hard to find articles about it and factoids about it and um I do. I, I just wish I could find her name, but she's not listed on the credit credits of the song specifically. So, yeah, there's that. I thought that you might find that interesting because you're a huge Jack White guy. Yeah, well, I certainly used to be. Lately, I, I every time I try to go back to him, I, I've been kind of just a little annoyed by him lately. But I don't know. I'll get back to him one day. Yeah, one day we'll have a perpetual grace slash patriot <laughs> show, and you and I will just sit. I tried to get you to watch Patriot, but we were just baked out of our minds i don't even think yeah, any of it got through to were. you last time you were in town we were just like out of our fucking gourds and i was like watch this show and you were like i'm going to sleep 